Welcome to Notes from the Field, brought to you by Noeo Science. Gordon, how goes it? Ah, great. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Here we find ourselves again in this little black box. That's right. Talking about stuff that tickles our fancy. That's right. And hopefully tickles the ears uh, a bit out there. Uh, yeah. We um, are looking for ideas, um, not not that we are running short, but I, we've heard some pretty great suggestions from listeners. And so please do yeah. shoot those our way via exactly. social media. However, it's great to hear from you guys when we hear from you. And it, mm-hmm. we've seen some recent photo uh, photos from uh, different listeners' discoveries. Mm-hmm. Uh, explorations out in, in God's creation. And so yeah. it's just encouraging to see and hear about those. So keep them coming. That's great. All right. And and one of the photos I saw recently was uh, of a creature we've talked about, I think uh, periodically, you've brought it up a, on a couple of occasions. Uh, it has, it's rather unique in, at least in our part of the world. This, uh, I saw a photo of a rough skinned newt and, right. uh, and a listener was talking about this autotomy this losing of the tail, which we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, but we're talking about a different aspect yeah, of, of- Yeah, another function of the skin. We were- Yeah. Now, in that context, we were talking about defense, you know, designed for defense. Yes. And that sort of put the idea in my head of just talking about a particular system in the body, uh, not just our body, but all sorts of animals and even plants, and just focusing on the skin. and. Obviously, when you're talking about defense, there's going to be a lot of defense mechanisms associated with the skin. So that might come up, defense, but it's all in the context of skin. Yeah. Skin is just whatever creature you're talking about, something mundane, like, I mean, it's not really mundane, but our our own bodies, we think of our skin as just sort of, hmm, ho-hum, nothing we're, we're particular. Kind of familiar we're not a porcupine. It. We're not, we don't have, you know, a lot of strange, I mean, maybe if you're a salamander and you're looking at us, you might think <laughs> that is strange, but, um, you know, we've got the hair and, and, uh, that's a pretty amazing feature, but by and large, our skin is just, you know, not as flamboyant as others. Yeah. It's a nice multi-purpose, uh, structure. But what we wanted to do is rather than just think of it as a, a, a covering, a rind, so to speak, on our bodies, I uh, wanted to look at some of the different function, the multifunctionality of the skin. Yeah. There's just lots of different functions that we don't always think about. Um, and this is, a, this is a cool topic, you know, it's a, kind of the, the interface between an organism and its environment. Right. And, and it's got to really deal with not only the environment the non-living environment, but also other organisms, either if it's the same species, either defending your territory from other members of the same species or attracting a mate. A lot of that is functions of the skin and protecting itself from heat, from cold, all sorts of stuff. So just to sort of start off with, we can talk a little bit about the functions of our skin And uh, one of the things that our skin does that we're familiar with, but we might not put a a fancy word to it, is uh, thermoregulation, which is, you know, if it's hot, our body makes adjustments to the heat to cool off. It's called, if you're taking a biology course, it's called homeostasis. And so 
if you're hot from just the air temperature or the sun, you do what? You sweat. sweat. You sweat. And uh, we've got all of these and you thousands. Get pink. Yeah, we get pink. We get, and so those two things are two ways for us to cool off. We get pink. I mean, we don't. I'm not talking about sunburn, uh, but our we our flush. blood we flush our our blood vessels in near the surface of our skin dilate, and so all of that hot blood from the interior comes out near the surface, and we become a radiator. So our skin turns pink because all of the blood is flowing to it and all of the heat from the blood, not all of the heat, but a lot of the heat radiates out into the environment. Yeah. So we get rid of some of that excess heat so we can keep our body temperature, keep it from overheating. And another way of cooling off besides radiation is uh, evaporative cooling where the sweat glands, which are like little microscopic wells. They produce sweat, which is mostly water and some salts and uh, even some waste products like uh, urea and ammonia. And so it's an excretory thing as yeah. well. But yeah. it, the sweat comes up the duct and then wells up on the surface of skin and forms a little bead of sweat. And that little bead evaporates. And basically, if you know basic physics or chemistry, you know, the, the water molecules in the bead of sweat that are hot evaporate from that bead and take that heat with it. And so that bead of sweat that's left is cooler. And as a result, uh, we're losing heat. Just like you, cr you cram a room full of people, it gets hot. It gets hot. Because that metabolic heat. And, exactly. And then we start sweating or <clears throat> getting red. Somebody's running on the bas basketball court and you see their face is beat red or, or whatever. A lot of exercise will make us uh, red, and we're just getting rid of that excess heat through the either the sweat or radiation. So that's just a cool way. Now we're uh, that's 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 a neat way for us to get rid of heat. Yeah, we're not as good at keeping heat. Yeah, we're a, sort of a relatively furless creature. We are, uh, and so uh, even though we've got a few mechanisms, if we're a little cold, we get goosebumps, and those little tiny smooth muscle that are attached to the, the base of your hair, raise the hair up. And also that contraction of these little microscopic uh, muscles produce a little bit of heat through their contraction. It's not like it heats us up a whole lot. We usually look for supplementary material, like a sweater or sweatshirt, yeah. to keep some of that heat that we're producing in. Grow that beard. Yeah. We don't, most of us don't look like Bigfoot. And, uh, what other animals sweat? You know, we, we know that dogs don't. Right. Cats don't, but they, they do evaporative cooling through their, uh, the dogs anyway, through their mouth. I have seen cats pant. Yep. After they've been neutered. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. Horses will sweat, I think. Horses will sweat. Kind of a uniquely mammal thing, but only a few mammals, including right. us, have this, this Horses sweating sweat. Um, I, I've never really taken a mammalogy class, so I just can't go through this lovely Rolodex of mammals that sweat. But yeah. I, I, I know that horses sweat and cool off uh, that way. But And does that sweat come from just kind of intermembrane space? Uh, where is that, where's that water the, coming on, from? On the horse? No, well, just in, in general, is the water, is oh, the water oh. source just kind of, uh, you, well, know, the you know, interstitial the sweat, spaces? The sweat, the sweat, there's all this tissue fluid too, but 
the cuboidal cells in the sweat gland are taking that moisture from, yeah, the the tissue fluid, which came from the bloodstream. The, okay. You know, the, the tissue fluid is produced by some of the uh, filtered plasma that leaks out of the walls of the of the capillaries. Yeah. And uh, and then it takes that tissue fluid and makes sweat out of it. Gotcha. That's neat. Um, Amazing. Yeah, it Amazing, really, really is. You know, we my favorite group is the reptiles, and and they don't no, they don't sweat. They don't do any sweating. They're uh, ectotherms. They get all their heat from the sun, and since they can't sweat or you know. Uh, they they can do some radiation, but they they don't sweat. But they usually just seek shade. If they're getting a little too warm, they just seek shade or behavioral yeah. thermal yes, regulation. Yeah, behavioral. That's, that's what I like to do. Like yeah. I take Move on and, and off out. layers all day long. Yeah, <laughs> in and out of the sun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. That's neat. Yeah, I was. I remember uh, working when I was on St. George Island in the Bering. We had to we'd four wheel out to the trailhead and then we'd uh, hike up the up to the top of the cliff and the highest cliffs, high cliffs, it was called. It was on the north, I think it was on the north side of St. George Island. It was about a thousand foot drop straight to, down to the ocean, to the Bering Sea. And, and so it was a little, we, we had to hike that every, every morning to go and watch our common murs or, or red-legged kittiwakes or whatever birds we were monitoring. And you had to be really careful um, because you can work up a sweat when you're hiking Anyone who's summited a peak knows this. Mm -hmm. You get to the top and it's almost always colder yep. there. And now your sweat is working against you. Yep. And so we would hike at a, we would try to have a really controlled pace of hiking. So we didn't generate sweat. So we wouldn't reap the consequences of having cold sweat all, all over our body yeah. for three hours sitting there. Yeah. yeah. It's an so, amazing function. Speaking of, uh, well, you were looking at birds, you know, and this marvelous structure, the feather is a, is a skin is a product of the skin. Yeah. It's, it's epidermal. Dermal. It's epidermal. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's incredible. And there's so many functions to the feather, whether it's in, I'll let you take it. But as far as thermoregulation goes, you know, we see birds flitting around in some of the coldest weather. Yeah. It really is incredible how some of these small songbirds, I think of kinglets usually, when I think of the hardcore overwintering songbirds. Uh, um, the ones that just somehow this little creature, you know, reduces its metabolism at night, but it does have, it does have very, very kind of fluffy body feathers. And these called. feathers are structured in such a way that they will, uh, they will just maximize airspace and mm -hmm. they'll trap that heat that's being radiated. So the radiated yeah. heat is trapped and it's it serves as insulation. Under, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and then we use that, those same feathers. And, we do. Uh, we like eider down. Eider, uh, those are the birds of the Arctic, the ducks of the Arctic. This is some of the best to insulate our jackets and, yeah. and keep and us sleeping warm. sleeping bags. And, and, that's right. And pillows. Um, yeah. I, I like, when I think about birds and thermoregulation, I immediately think of the, just the distinction or, or the difference between the different types of birds as, as chicks. And so we have altricial and precocial chicks and precocial chicks are the ones that come out really fully feathered. Uh, wood ducks, for example, wood ducks nesting in, in tree cavities and the chicks will often, often above water. And so when the chicks hop out for the first time, can't fly, uh, they'll often land right in the water and they'll start swimming right away. That mm -hmm. is a, that is a precocial bird, precocial meaning very mature at birth or hatching and not needing a ton of direct parental care, especially thermoregulation, mm -hmm. thermoregulation. Regu they might need some, they'll still stay with mom. They'll still come back to mom and they'll, they'll roost together. And mom will help them learn how to feed some, 
And uh, this was especially interesting in watching the Murchicks fledge on St. George Island. They had a thousand foot drop. A thousand foot drop. <laughs> Fledging was an extreme sport. Yes. On St. George Island. It wasn't a little tiny hop for the robin chick out of the nest to the ground. Maybe six feet, 10 feet, even 20 feet. This is a thousand feet. feet into the water. Though. Into the water. And yeah. hopefully, hopefully those updrafts were buffeting you in, in such a way that Slowing you were being, down your you were terminal being pulled away from the, the cliff, cliff and not towards the cliff. Yeah, that or would be a bummer. Or then it's a tumbly mess. Um, and so those were very precocial chicks, hit the water, hit the rough ocean water and immediately able to dive, able to feed really wild. Uh, that's a, that's amazing. I've always been amazed. I've never seen that kind of drop. I've seen the wood duck, you know, drop out of their nest hole yeah. in a tree and it can be what, 20, 30, how, how, yeah, it's quite the drop. Yeah. But they're not landing in the water. Yeah. Some of them are and landing, landing on a little leaf, leaf litter leaf, or leaf ground. Litter. So the ground and, and these they're not flying one bit and they're just <laughs> dropping and you just see this little duckling just bounce, uh, bounce on the ground and, and tuck then your legs in and, and land away. on your belly. Yeah. So it is amazing. So, so th that compared to an altricial chick an altricial chick is one, you know, a lot of songbirds, especially, uh, I had a student present pelicans recently and, and they're also altricial at birth, meaning they're just helpless. Kind of like us when we're born, pink mm -hmm. and naked and pathetic. Yeah. Now, we're not blind at birth. We can't see very well, can't see very far. So we're definitely altricial. We need a lot of parental care. And so many bird species also need a lot of parental care. Mostly, that's, I mean, at the most basic level, that's, that's thermoregulation. Yeah, they just don't have they, any insulation. Right. They're just sort of naked, looking like a plucked, <laughs> a miniature plucked um, chicken. Right. And, um, Big bulgy big eyes, bulgy eyes and, sort of purpley eyes. They're mm -hmm. not very attractive, you know, face, no. a face that only a mother could love. <laughs> and even she would have to be fond of children. <laughs> um, yes. And then, and they stay ugly for quite some time. Those feathers, they develop pin feathers and, and they start, the feather shafts start kind of start poking out. And they start looking like a porcupine I, for a bit. They look rough for a while and they only, they only poke out along certain certain symmetrical right. lines right. At, on various parts of the body, the back and parts of the wings and the nape. And, yeah. oh, they just look pretty rough for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So feathers are just an amazing piece of equipment, not only for insulation, but for flight, for contouring the body. It's, um, you can just go on and on with the functions of feathers. You really can. When you're talking about the, uh, I read in a book, I think feathers, the book called Feathers, by Tor Hansen, he was doing some ecology up in, uh, I think, New England. I think it was the Golden Crown Kinglet. Mm. And bird temperatures, bird temperatures run hot. They do. Yeah. So they're up in the, so what is it, 105 to yeah. 110, something like that. So that's normal. We're 98.6, but they're running uh, a fever, but that's normal for them. Yep. And, uh, what was amazing is these kinglets were flitting around at minus 40, you know, tiny little birds, and they do have their feathers and they had down, but that little down coat was keeping these birds. And the contrast between minus, I mean, get this, from minus 40 outside and then a, just a few millimeters to their body and it's 105 degrees or whatever. That's efficient that? insulation. That's 
What's wow. amazing, and what's what's the what's the differential there? Yeah, um, goodness, that that's is a wild. Huge, and trapping that heat and keeping that bird t- temperature up—that's that is amazing. But we're talking mostly about thermal regulation right now. Um, it's just a function of the skin, but there are many many other functions. Um, it's a it's a barrier. The skin is a barrier to not just in us, but in lots of organisms of. Um, keeping the bacteria and other infectious agents uh, out mm-hmm. of our body, this this skin of ours is un- not living. Um, we we sometimes think, well, I've got healthy skin. Well, yeah, you might have healthy skin, but it's that uh, upper surface called the upper surface of the epidermis is dead. It's dead as a doornail. And if you were, if those cells were alive, you'd be very wet and sticky. And everything you touched would probably hurt. Um, I like that. Uh, so it's a good thing it was dead. So just, just <laughs> console yourself. Morning, every morning you look in the mirror, you're looking into a death mask. <laughs> um, uh, if you're feeling too a, feeling too good about yourself, yeah. remind remind yourself of that. So yeah, uh, people uh, care about their skin. I mean, some do. people take maybe hundreds of dollars caring for their skin. Yeah, a lot and, of time caring for their skin. And so this, even though it, it's- Some people even right, shave their beards. Yeah, shave their know, beard. It's uh, aesthetic, uh, very aesthetic. It doesn't say that in the textbook. But you know, if we didn't have the skin, not only would we get infections all the time, but we would look horrendous because we just see fat and muscle and it'd be just gross. Plus, we would lose all our- I mean, the skin is not just for you know keeping all sorts of bad things out. And keeping moist in, yeah, uh, it makes us look much, much better. Yeah. It's a it's a wonderful uh, blanket that God has put uh, on us, and it protects us. I was uh, referring to the bacteria that the sweat not only does evaporative cooling, but uh, in the sweat um, there is a chemical called lysozyme uh, that is an antibacterial agent. So when bacteria land on your skin. You know they're they're in for um, a, a fight, a, a chemical, a chemical defense yeah. that kills that kills them. It really keeps the bacteria at bay on your skin. Um, that lysozyme is also in your tears. Um, I think also in your sebaceous glands, which are your oil glands. Yeah. So it's just um, uh, we've got chemical defenses. We've got thermoregulatory uh, features. Um, and then you know we've talked about feathers, um, yeah. And 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 we could leave we can even leave the animal kingdom. We talk a little bit about plants. Yeah, plants have a um, plants have uh, something somewhat akin uh, to skin. Their their outer layer. Um, I like especially this time of year. Many of us like the the kind of waxy uh, ericaceae plants, the heath plants, uh, mm-hmm. such as. Um, such as azalea or some other form, or the a different a different group of plants is that that's maybe more popular the um, holly holly trees. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a really thick waxy cuticle, cuticle. on the outside yeah. of their leaves, um, and that that uh, when I talk about leaves uh, with my students, I talk about how uh, the upper surface is really is really maximized maximized for. Uh, both protection from the elements, but also it's kind of kind of serves as the uh, the generate the food generator. It's kind of the kitchen upstairs, but it's got a really good roof to keep the elements mm-hmm. out. 
And then the underside of the leaf is often, if you look at a holly leaf, it's especially noticeable. The underside is a lot more pale. And silvery. And or... doesn't have to protect the, the organism from the elements. But yeah, that waxy cuticle on leaves and, and then just cellulose in general. This polysaccharide, this really massive molecule that, that's hard for us to digest. Right. Um, it, gives, it gives plants a, a protective outer layer as well. Right. The, all the cell walls of the plant cells are made of cellulose. And plus, you got that wax. If you took that wax off, the leaves would just immediately uh, wilt. Yeah. They it just really keeps dry that right water out. In. Yeah. And then you've got the stomates in the skin. I mean, we even call the, the cells that either the first, it's usually one layer, but sometimes multiple layers, called the epidermis. And under on the underside, you've got the stomates or stomata. Uh, which are little portholes that allow oxygen out and carbon dioxide in, yeah. in to do gas exchange. And the CO2 is going in to, to, do, to be used for photosynthesis. Right. And oxygen is produced as a waste product. And we use that, but that comes out these little holes. But the, the plant has to sort of thermoregulate, well, osmoregulate, meaning it has to keep the water balance. So you got the waxy cuticle and then you put the snowmates, God put the snowmates on the underside. If it was on the upper side, the snowmates, it would lose more water. Right. Because that's where it's hotter. And when those snowmates open, more water would evaporate out. So the snowmates underside, it's great. And then some desert plants will have fuzz, not all, but a lot of hairs growing out of the epidermis. And those hairs uh, reflect solar radiation, sort of like uh, plant fur. Yeah. And uh, that keeps them from overheating. It's just uh, God's got all the bases covered. Yeah. Desert plants are super interesting. I want you, you know, you taught body for quite a few years. And yeah. there's, you, you mentioned in a conversation we've had before, talking about just kind of the phenomenal uh, and complex way that the outer layer of trees develops and grows. Oh, oh. the bark. The bark sounds bark. simple. Not simple. Not simple. I mean, fire sounds simple too. Four <laughs> letters. But if you talk to a chemist and say, "Describe fire to me," I mean, sit down and get a cup of oh, coffee. Man, get a coffee. Yeah, and then you have to know your chemistry to 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 really understand fire and bark. From a tissue perspective, is it just a complicated piece of work? Yeah. Um, much more complicated than just the epidermis on a leaf or a green stem. I'm not even going to begin to, I would love to, but you really need diagrams and pictures to show what's going on in the bark and how things are dividing and forming these little um, layers uh, made of cork that uh, protect the, the tree from all sorts of injury. It's, it's almost like a, a callus. Yeah, in a plant. It's nice and thick and protective, and um, it's just a yes, yeah, another aspect of plant skin. But as uh, you know, as we're coming in, I don't know if there's any particular grand finale aspect of skin for 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 you, but uh, there's there's one thing that I let's hear it. Of course, you know it's probably going to be reptile, right? I hope so. Yeah, the uh, I've already talked about turtle shells. That's great. That that's part of the skin. And so turtle shells, the actual bone uh, in the shell is alive. It's, it's really dermis. So it's part of the skin. When we think of dermis, cowhide leather 
is a cow dermis. And then the epidermis is on top of that, which produces the fur, the hair, but the dermis is the hide basically. And base, uh, in a turtle, the dermis, uh, instead of being leather or a leather-like structure, leathery-like flexible structure, it just ossifies. It becomes bone or a bony material. Mm. And so you've got, and if you've ever seen a turtle shell, usually the coloring, uh, the nice shiny coloring over the top, if you took that, that's epidermis. And you can actually, uh, it's pretty tightly adhered to the bone, but sometimes you'll find a, a, a battle-worn turtle and you'll see the epidermal part ripped off and you'll mm -hmm. see a white bone underneath it. Mm. The thing that I was actually going to talk about is uh, my one of my favorite lizards called the horned lizard, mm. and they're really spiny. So it's obvious that the spines are a protective uh, defense. The spines are a, a specialized scale that makes them hard hard to swallow. Literal, <laughs> literally, literally, <laughs> um, there's there, somebody discovered. Uh, a whip snake that had swallowed a horned lizard and was dead, and uh, the horn the horn of the horn lizard had poked through the gut. Wow. Besides that, that's an obvious defense mechanism. There's another thing that someone discovered in the horned lizard skin. These are in particularly in horned lizards and in the thorny devil of Australia, which is similar to the horned lizard. Yeah. They've got, uh, they live in the desert where there's hardly any standing ever, any standing water. And they've got to, they've got to get, water somehow and when what what they discovered in between the scales is this miniature microscopic aqueduct system and the any dew or water that lands on the scales will just soak into those aqueducts literally like you know roman aqueducts yeah and these aqueducts will transport once the water gets into these little tiny these canals, all those canals will merge and move the water toward the corners of the mouth. Wow. Of the horned lizard. They've figured out it's like a tributary system that moves all of this water to the mouth. So that's basically a design feature. That's incredible. It is really incredible. Of course, the scientists can describe it in great detail in a herpetology textbook. And of course, they attribute it all to, isn't evolution amazing? Right. Uh, how these random mutations can generate. Now, they'll say what's a selective advantage. So anything that has a selective advantage is just automatically, well, if it's, it'll happen. Right. But remember, as we've probably said before, um, natural selection is a thing. It happens, but selection just selects. Right. It does not design. Doesn't generate the... Yeah. The material and to be selected. And they, they have to say that all of these things were just random, random uh, genetic uh, accidents that were seized by the, the natural selection. Uh, and, okay, this is useful. Right. Um, we're a desert lizard. Um, the ones that don't have the aqueducts will die of thirst, and the ones that do will have an advantage and stuff like that. But right. that doesn't produce it. Right. That just says, retains what you've got. Yeah. 
Anyway, that's one of my favorite that's things an incredible. about skins. It's a, it's a skin thing, Yeah, uh, but it's not obvious when you look at a horned lizard. You just look at the camouflage and you look at the spines. The camouflage is just amazing. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, horned lizards are one of my favorites. That's cool. I guess the thing I would, uh, my finale uh, would be maybe a couple different types of feathers that, that have different functions. Um, we've talked about feathers and all of their amazing properties and thermoregulation and flight. And I believe they also have some, uh, I believe birds also produce some type of antimicrobial uh, substance uh, in their preen glands. Mm -hmm. um, birds, uh, if you see a bird uh, kind of tipping its head behind itself and kind of dabbing its bill against the base of its tail, it's often a dipping or it's also often activating its uropygio gland which produces a substance that's mostly for the purpose of of, of reestablishing the interconnectedness of the feather barbs and barbules. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of greases everything so all everything zips back together correctly. And that, of course, that helps the bird with its aerodynamics. It helps the bird with thermoregulation. If it's a water bird, uh, it doesn't waterproof the feathers we found, but it does help with uh, just keeping keeping yeah. stuff out. It's, it's also like a conditioner. <clears throat> it helps. Yeah, it is. It's like um, a conditioner. And I think uh, it keeps the health of the feathers, maintains there, the health of the, the dead feather. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. It is kind of a strange word. I never thought about it that yeah, I until mean, you mentioned it earlier. Are dead. Yeah. Right. Um, we want to maintain the quality of stuff, even if it's dead. Exactly. If it's attached to us. I mean, think about leather. I mean, leather is dead. Right. But we put leather uh, conditioner conditioner, and if you're wanting to keep leather products really keep your hiking uh, nice, boots in good yeah, order, in good order. Um, so yeah, there's. I healthy used to spend so stuff. much time keeping my hiking boots in order. Yeah, that's um, great. This uh, the but the feather that I wanted to point out is the feather, and the bird that comes to mind right now is a a woodpecker, for example, um, a northern flicker, some other woodpecker. Watch a woodpecker. It's a good time of year to watch them. They're easy to attract to a feeder. Just throw some suet in there some fat of some kind, peanut butter and seeds. Uh, watch the woodpecker as it moves up the trunk of the tree. Yeah. Um, they're really, they have these remarkable tail feathers called retrices. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're built a little bit differently. They're squared off on the end. They're not like flight feathers. They're not like body or contour feathers or down feathers. They're really stiff. And depending on, on this, uh, I can't remember exactly how many retrices there are. But just the woodpecker will lean back and it'll prop its tail feathers against the trunk of that tree. That'll brace the bird as it climbs up the tree and, and looks for yeah. uh, looks for places to to start hatcheting away to find insects yeah. or to release sap. Um, and so in that case, uh, the the feathers, which are part of the skin, mm -hmm. um, take the take the function of of, a prop. of support. A yeah. prop. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. It's kind of like a tree stand. They have a built-in tree stand yeah. that they're so bringing they're not with having, them. Right. So they don't have to put all of their weight on uh, their claws hanging on. To yeah. Or think of a lineman for an electrical utility company. Yeah. He's got his harness. This is kind of like the harness. Right. It keeps them oriented in a, such a way that uh, they, they maximize their leverage and stability as they climb up That's that tree. That's really neat. Some Just basic, simple stuff that is just amazing. There's so much. So when you're looking at whatever animal you see in the backyard, every animal, every plant has skin. And if you think about and reflect on some of the things we've said, we've just touched the surface. 
no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> Just touch the epidermis a little bit. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, the skin has so many functions, aesthetic functions, uh, waterproofing functions, thermoregulation functions, antibacterial functions. The list goes on and on. And all of it gives glory to God because he's the designer. He is the creator of all of it. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Well, it's good. Always good to talk to you, Will. Yeah, thanks we'll so much, you. Gordon. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember, for all your homeschool science needs, go to noeoscience.com. That's N-O-E-O science.com.